Chapter 11 The enemy loves to frighten us with the thought that we are weak and cannot resist him or the forces at his command. Yes, of course we are weak, but we read, God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And he tells us, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. In every circumstance it is possible, as we read, to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. We are strong when we put on the whole armour of God. Then we are well equipped to stand against the schemes of the devil. It's the whole armour that we need. Omitting a single portion would make us vulnerable to attack at that particular point. The first piece to buckle on is the belt of truth. The enemy suggests falsehoods and doubts, as he did at the beginning, inquiring, did God really say? And when deception is his chief weapon, the truth is our first defence. You will know the truth, said Jesus, and the truth will set you free. Whatever is attached to the belt of truth remains secure, enabling us to be clear in our principles and firm in our commitment. Next we put on the breastplate of righteousness. Having done nothing wrong, no accusation will disturb us. And if we have made mistakes and know ourselves imperfect, then the righteousness of Christ our Saviour will cover us completely. If he is for us, who can be against us? If he accepts us, who is to condemn? With confidence in the gospel of peace, we are well shod to walk out with a message that is cheerful and practical. As it is written, how beautiful on the mountains are the steps of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace. Then you grasp the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Anger or doubt, fear or temptation, a sudden negative thought and soon a fire is raging. But the shield of faith stops the dart from piercing deeply and quenches the flame so it cannot spread. Faith in Christ is what keeps us safe and with this shield we are invincible. The helmet of salvation secures our head as the part which governs all the rest. With a clear mind we know what to do. With a sound eye we see how to do it. With quick ears and a ready tongue we work well with others to assure success. The helmet bears our Saviour's name for the name Jesus means he saves. Firm in our hand is the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Three times in the wilderness our Lord was tempted, and each time dismissed the tempter with the words, It is written. Wherever there is doubt or confusion, the word of God settles the matter, cutting away all falsehood and uncertainty.
The Apostle says, I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Our enemy is limited in what he can do to the nations of the world. He is more limited in what he can do to the servants of God, and far more limited when he finds them strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now well armed, we are ready for action, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. Many victories can be won by prayer when we pray in the Spirit. As the Spirit of God guides our thoughts, our prayer is focused and intensified. We are told the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes with unspoken yearnings. Day by day, his Spirit testifies with my spirit that I am his, helping me to understand him and to sense what pleases him and what does not. So we learn to be led by the Spirit of God. When my Lord is at peace with me, his Spirit testifies with my spirit that all is well. But if he's troubled about me or my circumstances, his spirit testifies with mine that something is amiss. We learn to sense this troubling and this peace. Feeling uneasy or uncertain, we do nothing till we have the testimony of his approval. So it is written, let the peace of Christ arbitrate in your hearts. As we take great care not to grieve, or quench his spirit, he works wonderfully in us and around us wherever we may be, and his spirit flows out from us, as Jesus said, like a spring of water, bringing life to others. We're not normally aware of our spiritual aura, and we certainly cannot see it. Sometimes we sense the glory in others as a spiritual glow, but things invisible to us are manifest to the powers of darkness. Frustrated by the spirit in and around us, they cannot approach or disturb a child of God. We read, the Son of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Facing our adversary and all who despise and attack our faith, we stand unhurt and unafraid, blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. We have nothing to fear from anyone, and with good reason. We are assured, little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. We have seen that the devil had no claim on Jesus Christ, and he has no claim on any who are in Christ. He has no authority to touch or harm us, unless we ourselves allow it. 
So we have this warning. Do not give the devil a foothold. Without a foothold freely given, he has no access to us. There are certain ways he tries to gain a foothold, and knowing them, we can be on our guard. For many of us, life is fairly comfortable. We have an adequate income, friendly neighbours, reasonable health, a comfortable home, and a family who enjoy our company. The people we know are not particularly bad or noticeably good, but usually quite pleasant. We want to get on well with everyone and learn to overlook whatever is not exactly to our liking. It is easy, then, to accept almost everything without question. We absorb attitudes, prejudices and misconceptions from workmates and family who do not know God and gradually sink into apathy, disillusionment and doubt. We have allowed the devil a foothold. Through pleasant unbelievers, he persuades us to be pleasant and unbelieving. A child growing up in a Christian family will be sheltered from many evils, innocent of the youthful follies that can leave tragic physical or mental scars. A few, however, in teenage years, develop an obsessive desire to experience the darker side of life. Tasting those bitter fruits, most will recoil in fear and loathing. But others, sadly, are drawn in and cannot easily escape. Seeking a knowledge of evil, they have allowed the devil a foothold. Our curiosity is easily aroused by horoscopes in newspapers and magazines. The future cannot really be predicted by fortune-tellers, for it's known only to the Father. If the devil and his agents had been able to foresee the outcome, they would not have crucified the Lord of Glory. But although occult powers cannot tell what will happen, they observe human nature and make their own plans to exploit it. Anyone who follows their instructions will make it easy for them to fulfil their own predictions and control their devotee. They have established a foothold in that life. The news of the world brings us far more evil than we can comfortably bear. It worries us to no purpose, for usually we can do nothing to help or change the desperate situations that we see. Some of us may be called to pray for the people affected or to assist them in some way, but it would be foolish to study evil for our own entertainment or to suppose we have a duty to know everything. It is written, all things are permissible, but not all things are helpful. Not all things build up. In these and other ways, the enemy will try to gain a foothold. He uses films, books, magazines, websites, advertising, social media, and the whole entertainment industry. He uses food, drink, 
and other self-indulgences that diminish our sound judgment or self-control. We're not compelled to fill our minds with things we do not want. We usually have a choice. So we read, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, these are the things to think about. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Follow the example of those who keep a healthy mind, and the God of peace will be with you. At times it may be hard to know if a certain thing is good or bad. Then we should ask, is this making me a better person or a worse? Is it leading me towards God or away? Is it something I can thank him for or not? And having asked the question, the answer may then be clear. We are told, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Do not allow the devil to gain a foothold in your life. Be wise in what is good and innocent of evil. That is our guiding principle. And if we follow it, there is a promise we can depend on. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. It's not under the feet of Christ or the feet of God that Satan will be crushed. It's under our feet. Whether we are few or many, that is where God will crush him. We're not called to stand on the sidelines and watch the battle between good and evil. Whether we like it or not, we're engaged in it ourselves, and we ourselves can win. Unlike the nation of Israel under the Old Covenant, we do not have borders to defend or a law to enforce. As our kingdom is a spiritual kingdom, our battles take place in the spiritual realm. For as it is written, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It is a conflict of ideologies, motivations and spiritual loyalties, touching the hearts and minds of men, women and children in every nation. Our weapons of defence and attack are not physical to scratch the surface. They are spiritual and penetrate to the very depths of human consciousness. It is written, although we live in the world, we do not fight like worldly people. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the world, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We engage in this clash of ideas and beliefs by offering to anyone who will listen a perspective on life that is new and better than anything they ever heard before. As the Apostle says, we demolish arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive 
to obey Christ. But we speak with love and respect, with much prayer and with all the wisdom that God gives. We read, The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. That is our task, and the rest we leave to him. Then God may perhaps grant them a change of heart, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, after being captured by him to do his will. The people we meet and pass and speak to day by day are individuals with their own hopes and fears, their troubles and their joys. Each one is potentially a friend, a friend who may have been sadly confused or seriously misled, but whom the Lord God loves and desires to help. Jesus has told us he is drawing all people to himself and there are some who feel the tug. Their own conscience is our ally and helper, bearing witness in their own heart that we have the truth. We read that his spirit is at work, convicting the world of what is wrong, what is right, and how this will be judged by God. And when the sower casts good seed, although some falls on rocks, some on thorns, and some on the beaten path. A fourth part falls on fertile ground. Jesus Christ is concerned for all who have been deceived. I am sending you, he said, to open their eyes, so they may turn from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God so that through faith in me they will have their wrongdoing forgiven and receive a place among God's own people. As we pray for men and women, we may often see them change. A previously unhelpful person will suddenly turn round and say, I don't know why I'm doing this for you. Complete strangers are led to show us unusual kindness as the Maltese did with Paul when he was shipwrecked. And if any treat us badly, we should be slow to blame them, for in truth they don't know what they're doing. As we pray for those who wrong us, they may surprise themselves with their better manners, and feeling a little ashamed, come to their senses and perhaps escape the snare. The Apostle was in prison surrounded by soldiers and scribes whose minds and hearts were darkened and disposed to treat him badly. He wrote then to his friends, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. How could he be so sure? He had long experience of prayer changing people. He had seen the power of the Holy Spirit to restrain ill-natured men, to silence wicked talk, to override hostile intentions. 
In the spiritual battle, he had learned how Satan may be crushed under the feet of a company of Christian people who are wise in what is good, innocent of evil, and praying for those who are mistreating them. He'd seen many times how evil may be gently overcome with good.